Yo, yo, what's good? I like him. He's a good guy. You're such a good girl. What does that even mean? What does it mean to be good? Good in whose eyes? Good on which side? Lots of people think lots of things are good, and other people suffer the consequences. So what does good mean? Welcome to Consciously, a podcast focused on honest conversation by regular people and for regular people seeking spiritual growth. Hey there, Consciously. It's Menachem Poznanski. We're here for uh, another uh, off-the-cuff episode. We're going to do the third installment of our What Does That Mean series. And today we're going to focus on the word good. Before we get started, I want to just uh, invite you to like us on Apple or any of the other podcasting formats and give us a five-star review that really helps us to get the word out um, and to let people know about the podcast. Uh, You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram and all that jazz. I also want to thank the assistant to the assistant regional co-host, none other than Tani Posnanski, who also happens to be my son. Uh, it's weird. We were looking to hire somebody and his resume came up and I was shocked. I didn't even know he wanted to be a podcasting assistant to the assistant coach, uh, but he did. And uh, now I'm really grateful to have him. He's great. He's doing a great job here as my sidekick and co-host. Do you want to say hello, Tony? Hello. Okay. So um, there's a great story. This story is uh, very special to me because I actually heard it. It was one of the first stories I heard from uh, of Moshe Weinberger. Tani's heard this story many, many times. It's one of his favorites. Um, can you guess which one I'm going to say? No. Okay. So uh, there's a story about one of the great Hasidic masters was Rav Zusha of Anapoli. And uh, Rav Zusha was the brother, the famous Rav Elimelech of Lizensk, who was of the most prominent Hasidic rebbeim of his day uh, in terms of the volume of followers and the impact he had on the Hasidic movement and the just different streams of Hasidus, of different schools that emerged from Lezhensk. But his brother, Zusha, who actually introduced the Rebbe Meilich, as he's known, uh, to Hasidus, is a, an amazing character, just an incredible character. The stories about him, the, the different sayings that are brought down from him are just unbelievable. So there's a, there's a great story about the Rebbe of Zusha, and it goes like this. Once... The Rebbe of all the Rebbeim, the Rebbe of all the Hasidic masters, after the Baal Shem Tov left this world, um, his student, the Magad of Mizrich, took over leadership. And his, he had a, a vast array of students, many, many students. He really took the Hasidic movement from a small band of close students and followers of the Baal Shem Tov, made it into a movement. Um, anyway, as you can imagine, being a leader of a large movement, um, you know, you get burnt out. It gets tough. So the Magid decided that he needed a little bit of a break. He needed some time to clear his head and to kind of think things over, maybe just have some time alone to learn and to uh, connect with Hashem, connect with God. And uh, he told one of his attendants, he said, we're going to go a few towns away um, and we're going to find an inn, a classic Jewish inn on the road. And uh, we'll get a room there and we'll stay there for a couple days. And uh, we'll spend time there. You know which story I'm talking about now, Tom? Yeah, you know which story we're talking about? Yeah. Yeah, okay. So so, uh, so he takes a room. He finds an inn in a nearby, a nearby town on the road and uh, owned by a, a nice, simple, but pure Jew. And uh, he takes out a room and he says, listen, I'm, I'm going to be here for a couple of days. I don't want anyone to bother me. I just want to be alone um, in the room. I have some things to think over. I need I have some learning to do. And really, no one should bother me. And I'll come down for the meals. And then aside from that, I don't really want anyone uh, bothering me. 
So, uh, so he's in his room, and the Magad's doing what the Magad would do. He was learning or communing with God or whatever, whatever he was doing. And there's a knock at the door. And he comes to the door, and he says, yes. And it's the innkeeper, and he said, he said, Rabbi, I'm, I'm so sorry to bother you. And the Magad says, well, I, I told you, I'm, I'm, I need a few days, and I, I just need some quiet. And he said, I, I understand, but the inn is very full. There's many people, many travelers today. And the Rebbe Rebzusha is here. Um, and I can't put him in the regular rooms. The rooms are packed. You know, we have people sleeping, multiple people in a bed. And I, I just feel bad. Is, is there any way maybe that the Rebzusha can stay with you? So the Magid, you know, knows the Rebbe Rebzusha's, you know, shenanigans, as, uh, as we'll see in the story and as they're told over in many of the stories. And he's shaking his head. He, I don't know if I can handle Zusha today. And, and the innkeeper says, no, no, no. The Rebbe of Zusha said he understands that the Rebbe is, that the master is, you know, doing his thing. And he's going to keep to himself. He's going to go into a corner and he just needs a, a small space to sleep and a corner and he's just going to keep to himself and he won't bother the Rebbe at all. And the Magid says, oh, okay, fine. So he comes in and the Magid sits on one side of the room and the Rebbe of Zusha sits on the other side of the room and they commune with God and they speak and they meditate and they pray and they, and they learn all through the night. They go to sleep whenever they're supposed to go to sleep. They wake up in the morning, there's prayers, and then it's time for breakfast. And they sit down at breakfast. Now, the innkeeper, he's a, a simple Jew, but uh, he appreciates the value of having two of the greatest Jewish scholars and leaders um, in his vicinity. He sits right toward the end of the table, right right by the head. He sits the Magad at the head, and he sits the Rebbe Zusha to his left, like right next to him. So he's sitting in between these two great masters, just excited to just kind of gather it up. So anyway, they're sitting there for a few minutes, and the, 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 uh, the waiters start to bring out some food. They bring out some eggs and some onions and whatever it is that they're bringing out, and ketchup. And, uh, of course, because it was for sure ketchup in Ukraine, um, in the uh, early 1800s, late 1700s. No, it would have been the, the late the late 1700s. And um, they're eating and they're talking and there's different conversation going on. Maybe the, the Magid shares a, a deep Torah. Maybe Rebbe Zusha tells over a, a, a story from his travels with his brother. And uh, the innkeeper leans over to the Rebbe Zusha very humbly and he says, Rebbe, uh, could I trouble you to pass me the ketchup? And uh, Rebzusha says, surely. And he grabs the ketchup and he passes it over to the uh, the innkeeper, who's very excited. And he says, ah, oh, it's Gefaldic. It's wonderful. I love ketchup. And the Rebbe Rebzusha turns to him and says, what? What did you say? And, and the innkeeper looks left and looks right. And he knows he did something wrong. And already the Magad has... Put buried his face into his hands, and, and and the innkeeper says, "I, I, 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 I said, I, I, I love ketchup." And the rebbe says, "What, what, what, what did you say?" And he says, "I love ketchup." And the rebbe leans back in his seat, and he his eyes start to flutter. He closes his eyes. His eyes starts to flutter. And he gets a huge smile on his face. Now the Magid is sitting there and his, his head is buried in his hands because he knows what's coming. He knows something wildly Zusha is coming. And he buries his hands in his face. And he says, okay, here it comes. 
And the Rebbe Zusha is boiling over with excitement. He starts to shake. He starts to tremor. And he starts to sing a simple song. He starts to sing a simple song. Just he starts to hum. He says, He loves ketchup. And Zusha loves Hashem. He loves ketchup. And Zusha loves Hashem. He loves ketchup. And Zusha loves Hashem. And he starts to sing the song with his slavos, with excitement. And he starts to get, he stands up and he starts to sing. And everyone's looking at him and he's singing the same, the same words again and again. He loves ketchup and Zusha loves Hashem. He loves ketchup and Zusha loves Hashem. And then he gets up on the chair and then he gets up on the table. And now he's dancing with absolute gusto. And the ketchup and the eggs and the onions and the mustard is flying everywhere. Everything is flying everywhere. Everyone clears the room. The Magid doesn't move. He sits up, he closes his eyes, and he listens to Zusha's song. And he was wearing, as was, the, as was the custom in those days for the great Hasidic and Kabbalistic masters, to wear white clothing, white cloaks. And he was wearing this beautiful new white coat. And the white coat is getting obliterated. Ketchup, and mustard, and eggs, and onions, the whole thing. Anyways, many years later, when the Magid, they say over when the Magid, when it came time for him to leave this world, he told his shamans, he told his students, I want to be buried in my Ahavas Hashem, my love of God, Bekesha, my coat, my love of God coat. And the students looked at one another, they didn't know what it was, and the shamans brought it out, and he brought out this white coat, which looked almost brand new, that was filled with eggs and ketchup and onions, never cleaned, never laundered, the loving of God coat of the Magid. And that, they say, is what he was buried in. That's how he was buried, in that coat. So that story has so many messages, has so many messages. But one of the really powerful messages that I think it, it, it expresses is what we give value to and what we consider good and what we consider the best and where we place our love. And we've been kind of exploring the meaning of words, right? Like Tani's here, he's a very good boy, right? And uh, he's also really, really good at Minecraft, right? I'm not. Right, no, you're not. But in comparison to me, you're very good at Minecraft. Well, yes, because I played and you haven't. Right, exactly. So you're beautiful. Right, right. Okay, but we played together and Fortnite and Zaki is very, very good at Fortnite. And we've already established that you're not as good as Fortnite because you don't really practice it. Because I don't like it. Right, right, because you don't like it. But, which is super powerful, right? <laughs> you're just making the point, right? But, so Zaki is good at Fortnite, but not as good as other people. And compared to Zaki, you're not good at Fortnite. But compared to me, you are good at Fortnite. And I am just playing out bad, no. right? Okay, so, so the question that comes up, though, is what is what does good mean? Like, you're a good boy, you're good at Minecraft, not good at Minecraft. You're a good person. I'm a good person. But we do bad things. We do sometimes maybe even evil things. Sometimes we even do evil things to each other. Sometimes we'll raise our voices or say mean things or be grumpy in the morning and not be so nice, right? So those are all things that occur. So the question that comes up is like, well, what is good? What does good mean? Like, Okay, so I want to live a good life. What good is the opposite of bad? Ah, very good. Very good, right? So I want to live a good life. So then you say, well, let's look at good as opposite bad, right? So bad is whatever I don't like. Mm -hmm. And good is anything that's not that, mm -hmm. right? Okay, so that's, 
that's one way of describing it, right? So there's good and there's evil, right? But when you say bad, you don't mean evil, right? Yeah, what? Like there's such a thing as evil, right? Good is also the yes. opposite of evil. Well, I feel like... Is good the opposite of bad or is good the opposite of evil? Um, I mean, I, I feel like that bad and evil, like, like evil is a more intense version of, 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 of uh, a bad. Right. So I feel like, I mean, I sort of, I guess so. Uh, yeah, I, I guess it could be. Both. Well, what makes something bad? Let's say like you say like, well, that's, that's a bad restaurant. I don't like that restaurant. Is it, we're saying it's evil? No, that, that's why evil is a more intense version of bad. Right. So, but what do we mean when we say that? A restaurant is bad. It means that it doesn't taste good, or they don't. Their food doesn't taste good, or they don't have good service, or something like that. Right, like it doesn't meet my fancy. Yes. Right. Okay. So, so in that in that version, right, he's a good guy. I like him. In that version, meaning that which makes it good, right, the thing that measures it as good is the way in which it meets my expectation. Yeah. So I wanted them to bring out food that tasted a certain level of delicious, and they didn't. So therefore, they're now bad. Well, I mean, it's not it's not that it wasn't like delicious or not. It just it didn't it, you I'm like, it wasn't delicious to you. Right. So like I could I could love a restaurant and you can't. And I mean, and I could love a restaurant and you couldn't hate it, but it doesn't mean that's a bad restaurant. It just means that that to you their food's bad. Right. Okay, so what the point that you're bringing out is that a lot of times when we use the word good, we're referring to a subjective measurement. Yes. Right? There's objective and objective, right? There's that which is related to me and that which is related to the universe, right? So I can say that's good, and what I really mean is what's good for me. Like in the story, the innkeeper thought ketchup was good. He loved ketchup. Yes. And Rabzusha was saying, well, I'm, I'm not getting lost in the subjective good. I want to stay focused on the objective good, good that is God, right? So what's revealed in that, in that story and that message is oftentimes if we want to differentiate between good and bad, and to understand what good is, we have to separate between what's good for me versus what's good for the world. Yes. Right. Okay. So, and also even with, with what's good for me, there's what's good for me within the perspective of like what feels good for me right now. And then there's what's good for me, like in the sense of like the entirety of my life. Yes. Right. Like the fulfillment of the journey that was supposed to be my existence. Yes. So as we try to tease out what good means, we're differentiating between subjective good and objective good. Yes. Right. Okay, great. So there's one more piece I want to do, I want to, I want to share with you, and then, and then I'll tell you the final kind of component, the final message. So there's a teaching in Hasidus that we've discussed many times, which is basically that there's three layers in the entirety of the universe. There's three possibilities. There's that which is pure good, right, which is totally unified with God. There is that which is total evil, which is completely separate from God. It only receives from God me'acharayim, meaning in a backhanded way. It doesn't receive the abundance from God in a direct way, but only receives in a backhanded way. Those things cannot be transformed to good. They're just total evil. And then there is that which is in the middle. There is that which can either be transformed to good or can be degraded into bad. Right? So... What Hasidus teaches us is that all of our lives, all of our existence, all of the world that we encounter, aside from, let's say, what the Torah tells us is asur, is, is forbidden, right? But the food that we encounter, the clothes that we have, the homes that we live in, our very bodies themselves, even our, per our personality, 
our character, is, comes from that place of both good and evil, meaning it can either be transformed to good if used properly, or it could be degraded into bad by being used improperly. And that, in fact, the entirety of our purpose and mission in this world is to take that fundamental being, which is our existence, and elevate as much as we can to good. Right? That's the function of life. Now, on the spiritual path, oftentimes people associate being spiritual as being ascetic, about like not being able to enjoy life. But in fact, part of what we start to learn as we delve into these ancient books of spirituality, what we find is, is that the goal is not to remove ourselves from life, per se, but actually to engage life as much as we can, and to the degree that we can raise that up to be good. Right? Not so much about what makes me feel good in the moment, the ketchup, but rather what ultimately is good. Now, what keeps on coming back here, which is really, really intense and maybe can be confusing, is God. Right? You're saying, well, Zusha loves ketchup. I mean, sorry, he loves ketchup and Zusha loves Hashem. Right? That there's really, it's creating a paradigm that that which is bad is the use of a thing for its own purpose, and that which is good is the use of a thing towards the purpose of God, right? So what we're saying is God is good, and good is God. That seems very intense, right? Yes. Right, okay. Because, like, what about enjoying life? Yes. Okay, so there's a beautiful teaching from one of the great masters, the Ramchal, Rav Moshe Chaim Lazato, and he teaches this in the beginning of Messiah Sisharim, and it's a very, very fundamental teaching. What he says is, he quotes a Pasuk from David Amelach that says, Kirvas Elohim Litov, closeness to God, for me that is good. And the Ramchal says, here's the problem. People associate good as all sorts of things. They get confused. They think that good is subjective. They think good is whatever makes me feel good in the moment, whatever makes me feel nice in the moment. But what they don't realize is that every moment of life can be either elevated or degraded. Those are the choices that are in front of us. If we elevate life, if we live life to its fullest, in its fullest manner, according to the way in which the Creator laid it out for us, then what we do is that we take life and we transform it to good. Life then becomes a channel that allows us to be connected to God. But if we take life as an end in and of itself, then life becomes not good and even can become bad. Right? It can be degraded into that last lowest level of existence, which is bad, which is that only receives from God in a backhanded way. So that the measurement of good is not God in the sense of experiencing God, but the measurement of good is the way in which a thing enriches your life and makes it feasible for you to draw closeness to God. So in that frame, what that means is we had lunch a little while ago. Was that good pizza? Yeah. Because it was delicious. Yes. But that's not why it was good. No. It was just delicious. Like the ketchup in this story. It's not good. You can't love the ketchup. Yes. The ketchup's just delicious. Yes. What makes the ketchup good? Because ketchup makes the food delicious. And when I eat delicious food, I'm nourished. And when I'm nourished, I have energy to carry out the will of God, which is to live my life to the fullest. So the ketchup is not good because of the ketchup. The ketchup is good because it's a means towards some sort of ultimate meaningful end. So was the pizza delicious? Yep. But what about good? Was it good? Yes, because the pizza gave you energy to do this, to show up for your job, to show up for your family, to do the things that you need to do, 
to pray, to meditate, to go to sleep, to be a good son, to have the energy to be a kind person, a loving son, and a loving brother, to have fun, to laugh, to make funny memes that cheer people up, that make them, give them a sense that life is light and not so heavy, to play Minecraft and to create and to utilize your creative mind to create things because you get to, because it's fun, because God wants you to have fun in a way that's appropriate. And that's not all of life, right? Fun is not all of life, but it's a big part of life. So the separation between Zusha and the innkeeper isn't that the innkeeper loves ketchup and Zusha loves Hashem. It's that Zusha might also love ketchup, except Zusha loves ketchup because it draws him closer to God. And that's why the filth that was left over on the jacket, on the Bekesha of the Maggot of Mizrich made the Bekesha beautiful because it was the filth of the ketchup and the onions and the eggs, that which we normally associate as dirty, which expressed the fact that even the dirt that was on his coat had function because it taught a lesson to everyone there about the beauty of a relationship with God and what it means to really love God and maybe what it means to really be good. Thanks for listening to the Consciously Podcast. Consciously is a project of The Living Room, which is a division of Our Place New York, and made possible by the kindness of the Capellius family, in memory of Tsipora Basravaron. The host of Consciously is Menachem Posnansky, and produced by Chaim Kohn, and our trusted assistant to the regional co-host, Shemaya Hanekman. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you can give us a review on Apple Podcasts, and subscribe on Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. We sincerely welcome and appreciate your feedback, so please feel free to email us at consciously62 at gmail.com or on our Instagram and Facebook pages.